Good morning, Christ Church. This Bible, any Bible you might be holding, it's a book written over 1,000 years through 40 different authors spanning three continents, written in three different languages, telling the story of how God is coming back to do something about the brokenness of this world, and he centers all of that around Jesus Christ. It's a story of God coming to make this broken world right again. And the predominantly most part of the Bible, three-fourths of it, is what we call the Old Testament. It's the story of Israel and how God was preparing to come uh, to, this, to this world and to begin to make things right again. We're in a series right now called Simply Christian, and we're going through that book uh, by the same title from N.T. Wright. And um, what it is, it's one of these kind of like back to the foundations, very ground level floor. What is Christianity all about? How do we make sense of the world? How do we make sense of our longings for justice and spirituality and relationships? How do we make sense of what's gone wrong in the world? And if there's a God, what is he doing about it to make it right? Last week, we turned and began talking about the Christian story, which is really the story of the Bible. What does the Bible say? What's the big story of the Bible to talk about how God is coming into this world to make everything sad come undone, to make everything sad become right again? What might he be doing about it? So last week, Father Cliff talked about heaven and earth and these overlapping spaces and how there's an interlocking space between them. If you didn't hear the sermon, go back and listen to it on a podcast because I'm going to be referencing it quite a bit and how God is coming to this world. And we're continuing that story today by talking about Israel. And how does Israel fit into this story? And really, what's most of the Old Testament all about? How does that storyline go together? Often when we begin to read the Bible, or maybe you've been reading the Bible for many years, you open the Bible and you look at the Old Testament and it's daunting, it's confusing, there are a lot of stories in there, they're not chronological, they're not alphabetical, you're not quite sure how they all connect and go together. You've got pieces of the story, but you don't know how do these all fit together, and so it's oftentimes easier just to read one of the Gospels or to read one of Paul's letters because they make a lot of sense. But I want to make a case today as we go through and look at this story of Israel. I want to make a case almost for the Old Testament, for reading, for absorbing, for being immersed in the Old Testament. I want to offer you a favorite quote of mine, and you might think of this quote as the backbone of the sermon. This is from Augustine of Hippo. He lived uh, in the 4th and 5th century, North Africa, as an African theologian. And he famously wrote this quote, the new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed. And what he means is that all of the Bible goes together. All of this story fits together. You can't understand the New Testament without understanding the Old Testament. The the new is concealed in the old, and the old is revealed in the new. They go together. And if you want to understand the message of Jesus, who he is, coming as an Israelite, in the first century, to this people, this nation of Israel, and then to all the Gentiles and the rest of the nations, you have to understand God's story of Israel. And what I hope to do today is look at Israel as part of this story, and then practically we're going to wrestle with this question for a few minutes. How do I even read the Old Testament in a, in a way that spiritually guides me? How do I read beyond just mere history? So we'll look at that question as well. 
And um, this sermon, like I said, will in some ways almost just feel like maybe an apologetic for reading the Old Testament, like an invitation to take up, uh, to take up your, your Bible and make your way through the Old Testament scriptures. So I want to begin with a question. Why Israel? Why is Israel so significant to the story? And when I say Israel, I don't mean the modern nation state of Israel in the Middle East. I mean this family of nomads. I want to tell the story the way Jesus and his followers would have understand, understood the, the story of Israel. So let's put up uh, this next slide. And this really does relate to last week. This is taken from the Bible Project. And um, these are two different spheres representing the blue sphere, representing uh, heaven, and the pink sphere representing earth. And when God created the heavens and the earth, like Father Cliff said last week, they were overlapping, interlocked, God, space, heaven, earth, space, here on earth, overlapping, interlocked. And you remember in early on in the Bible, God is walking in the cool of the garden. God desires to be with his people, to permeate this world. He's put Adam and Eve as his ambassadors to the rest of creation, but God is still present there in creation. But you know early on in the story, things go horribly wrong. The humans, rather than continuing to follow God, Adam and Eve, they disobey, they listen to these dark powers, this dark voice. They listen to the pride of their own hearts, thinking they can be better than God. They disobey God. They, disobey, they break one of his commands, and we get what we might call the great split, heaven and earth being pulled apart from one another, which is what that next slide represents. And all of the rest of, you can go back one slide, all of the rest of the story of the Bible is putting heaven and earth back together again. It's a story of bringing heaven and earth back into shared space together. And the way God begins this rescue plan to begin to rescue creation from the evil powers of the world and the evil desires of their hearts, he begins to do this through a family of nomads. Now we can go to the next slide called Israel. Israel is who he chooses, this family that he chooses to reveal himself to the world. This family becomes God's way of bringing his presence back into the earth. It is the start of the rescue plan of bringing, reuniting heaven and earth together. Now, you might ask at this point, well, how do we keep the story straight? So that's like kind of the big picture. Israel is going to be kind of the focal point of the rescue plan. How do you keep the story of the Old Testament together? Because there are a lot of many stories in the Old Testament, and you might be new to reading the Bible, and you're not quite sure, where do I start in the story of the Old Testament? And I remember having this question years ago of, um, how do I really make it through reading the Bible in the Old Testament? And I was in seminary, and trying at that point in my faith journey to go deeper in understanding the Bible. And I had a wonderful seminary professor named Sandy Richter, and she's a really great professor. And she said to us, she said, Matt, she spoke to the class, but I felt like she was speaking directly to me. Matt, you, you're understanding the Old Testament. It's like one of those disordered closets in your house. Many of you have like one of those disordered closets. When you don't know where something goes in the house, you open the closet door and you just throw it in and then shut it real quick, hoping things don't fall out, right? So you, you've got one of these closets and it's got like tennis rackets in there and a pair of shoes and it's got board game pieces, but not from all the same board game. They're just all in Ziploc bags together. And if you wanna play Monopoly or Risk, you've gotta pull out all these different pieces together. You've got pins and suntan lotion and tennis balls and everything else goes in this one closet. And there's no order, but you know, there's, you know the stuff that's in there, you just don't know the order of it. She said, that's how most of us read the Old Testament. We know about David and Goliath. 
We know about uh, the exile. We know there's these two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. We don't know how it all relates and how it goes together. So she said, I want to give you just an easy way to organize the closet. And if you can keep this easy structure in mind, it starts to bring some order to the Old Testament and to your understanding of the Old Testament. I want to pass that along to you today. She said, I want to give you three promises that God makes in the Old Testament. If you remember these three promises, this ends up telling the story of Israel really easily, and you can always orient yourself around one of these promises in the story, asking, what is is God doing in relation to these promises? The Bible calls these promises covenants, and the first one we'll look at, it comes from our first reading. It's called the Abrahamic Covenant. Go to this next slide here. This is from your first reading. This is a promise God makes to Abraham. He says, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And the last line of that blessing is the really important part. God blesses Abraham and then through Abraham's family, the rest of the world is going to be blessed. God will curse those who ignore or curse Abraham. He will bless those who bless Abraham. In a sense, Abraham is going to become a new Adam, new start to a new line of humanity. Now, if you're Abram, when you hear this promise, this might sound downright outlandish. You know, he and his wife had never been able to have children. They were already in their 70s, and biologically, that doesn't make it easy at that point, to have children. It seemed like God was maybe a bit too late. And to make matters worse, God had requested that Abram and Sarai leave their land. And you can imagine uh, being told you're in your 70s, God's going to make a great nation out of you, that you're going to have children, and from you, he's going to bless the rest of the world. You have to leave your land. You can imagine all the reasons Abraham would say, I don't want to do that. Like, I just, I don't believe you, God. Like, it, if you've ever felt called by God to do something, And then you start going through the list of the reasons why it doesn't make sense for you to do it. That's kind of how Abraham might have felt in that moment. Like those those are great promises, but I don't know if those are promises for me. But we're told that Abram was a man of radical faith, and so he leaves his land despite these reasons he's come up with in his own mind, trusting God implicitly. And when his family arrives in Canaan, God gives them a new name, in effect, a new identity that reflected the promises he bore. His name changed from Abram to Abraham. And what makes God's commitment to Abraham truly remarkable was that this blessing serves a strategic purpose. God promised that the blessings and abundance given to Abraham's family would overflow to all the families on the earth. The original blessing given to Adam and Eve in the garden is now being carried out by Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham and Sarah are being treated like a new Adam and a new Eve. So in Abraham, what you're getting is the start of new creation. Second promise is, the second promise to remember is to Moses. We can go to these next slides. Go to one more. Second one is to Moses, the Mosaic Covenant. So after Abraham and his family go down to Israel for so many years, they've been living in slavery in Egypt for 400 years, and there's this question, is there enslaved in Egypt? Has God forgotten us? Has God forgotten us after all of these years in enslavement? And after crying out year after year, the book of Exodus tells God has not forgotten his people. When he hears their cry, they come to rescue them. 
And through a series of 10 plagues culminating in a final judgment, they escape from Egypt. And through their escape, God reveals himself to all of Egypt. Now, if you've ever read some of the Old Testament before, often we start Bible reading plans, and it's somewhere around Leviticus or Numbers that that's where the Bible reading plan ends, right? Like you get through Genesis, you get through Exodus, and then you get into Leviticus and Numbers, and you're like, I don't know what all these laws are about anymore. These laws are related to the Mosaic Covenant. And it's God's way of saying that this is a type of kingdom I want you to be. If you will follow my rules, if you will obey my laws, this is the type of society you'll live in. And if you read through Leviticus and Numbers and, and Deuteronomy, what you find is that the type of society God was creating was one in which there weren't going to be any poor people. He's creating a type of society where um, the old and the young would live together. He was creating a society where the environment would be faithfully farmed and would not be overextended as you read through the laws. It's really beautiful since the heart behind the law is how does a society love one another well? It's like the whole point of the law, how to love one another well. So he's showing them, this is how I want you to live. Israel, this is the type of people I want you to be. And if you become these type of people, it reveals me to the rest of the world. The rest of the world will see what kind of God that I am. The whole design of the law is meant to be that the rest of the world, through Israel, would see the love and care of God. They would live as a kingdom of priests. Mosaic Covenant is all about giving Israel commands for how to live to represent God's love to the world. But as you know the story of the Old Testament, the people keep falling away and not following God in these commands. And as they settle down into the land, they look around, they notice other nations have kings. How come we don't have kings like other nations? They want to be like these other nations. So they ask God, can we have a king? And God consents and gives them the king. And this is the third promise to remember. You've got the Abrahamic promise, the Mosaic promise, and this third one, the Davidic covenant, the Davidic promise. God raises up a leader named David, a king who can lead the nation, and the point of the king is to help lead the people to loving kings by who become a nation, being led by a king, representing God to the broken world. They often don't live out this vocation they're called to live up to. They don't do the good and holy work that God had called them to do. So God has called them to be the intersecting point of how he's going to come and bring healing to this world, and they're not able to do it. He says, it's through you that I'm going to bring my blessing to the world, but they, they constantly fail in their attempts to represent God faithfully, which leads to a question I sometimes often hear, which is, how do we read the Old Testament? How do we read the story of, of Israel? And grow spiritually, which is kind of a fair question because we can read Paul's letters, we can read Philippians, we can read uh, the Gospels, and that's a little bit easier than trying to read something like Second Chronicles, making sense of, God, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to shape in me through these stories? It takes a little bit of work to read the Old Testament, but if you kind of keep the big story in mind, I think it can become easier. And here's one of the ways the early church uh, helps us to read the Bible. They say every time you read the Old Testament, two things at least are happening. One, something historically is happening. You're watching something historically happen. But two, something spiritual is often happening. Like there's a spiritual lesson for us to learn as well. So when we read the Old Testament, we often find them, the Israelites, walking away from God, entering a judgment, repenting, and then being brought back into God. 
Like the theme of the Old Testament might go something like this. If we go to the next slide. This kind of is maybe the major theme is the people, rather than following God, end up worshiping some false god. And in doing so, they suffer the consequences of that. There's some judgment, whether it's another nation taking them over or it's just their own inability to, to follow God, just their natural repercussions of sin. And they realize what they're doing, and so they repent and they begin walking back, and they experience some sort of freedom, some sort of deliverance. If that pattern looks familiar, this is the story Jesus told today in the prodigal son. The prodigal son's story is like the story of Israel, where you've got one son who totally walks away. He's eating uh, food with pigs, and he realizes, what am I doing? And he decides, I'm going to walk again back to my father. I'm coming back home to my father. And as he gets back home to the father, you remember the father embraces and throws his arms around him. That's like a picture of Israel, and that's a picture of how you read the Old Testament. There's something, there's a spiritual lesson for us to be learned from them. Like, who of you would ever say, like, yeah, I think there's been moments in my life where I've, I've drifted away from God? You know, like, have you ever felt like that? Like, gosh, I wish I lived a life closer with God. Like, I wish I just lived a more tender and faithful life with God. Maybe there are moments in your life where this happens, where you say, like, I'm the type of person, you know what, I struggle with this addiction. I struggle with drinks. And I'm never going to have another drink. I make a promise to myself and I make a promise to others. I'm not going to drink again. And then you know what happens. One night you're really stressed or um, you're bored or you're triggered in some way and you end up drinking and you relapse. And you say, what just happened? Because I thought I was never going to drink again. I suffered the consequences of this thing. And now I'm a little bit ashamed. And how do I make my way back to God? How do I, how do I make my way back to my friends that I've, been, I've let down by doing this? Or maybe a similar situation, an addiction perhaps with pornography. And you find yourself on a website again one night. I mean, how does this happen? Or maybe it's not that. Maybe it's something, and this is again the life of Israel. What we learn from Israel, Israel saying, I'm forgotten by God. I'm down in Egypt and I feel totally forgotten. Has anyone ever felt alienated from God? Like you're all in a situation by yourself and you just keep wondering, where is God in the middle of this? Like, I've got a really hard thing going on. Like, I'm fighting perhaps a mental health challenge, and it takes all of my attention, takes all of my energy. I've got depression, which means I just don't have feeling. It's not that I'm up. It's not that I'm super down. It's just I don't have feeling at all. And most of my day is spent trying to work up the energy. And God, would you take this from me? Where are you, God? If you're facing something else altogether, you have... Um, perhaps a chronic sickness or illness, and you're wondering, how does this get better? Is there ever healing for me? God, I know you work miracles, so would you come and heal my body? Maybe you have a disability of some sort, maybe an invisible disability. Others don't know you have it. And would you come and heal me, heal my body? If those situations describe you, let Israel be your guide for coming back to God. Every time Israel walks away, they end up repenting, coming back to God. And do you know what the Lord says to them? You're still my bride. You're still my firstborn son. You're still my servant. I'm not through with you. You cannot outsin Israel, okay? <laughs> you can't outrepent them either. They're always going to walk back to God. That's the message of Israel. Do you feel forgotten by God? Read Exodus. Read Lamentations. 
Do you know how the, the story of the Old Testament ends? The temple has been burned down. The king has been sent into exile. His sons have been killed. There's no hope for Israel. And does God forget them? Could he forget them? Could he forget the ones that he has brought into the world? You read Isaiah, and it says, like a mother having a, a child at its chest, I couldn't forget you. Israel, I won't forget you. You're closer to me than that. Do you feel abandoned by God? Read the Old Testament. Read the story of Israel. Do you feel like you're far from God? Read the story of Israel and learn the lesson of repenting and walking back to them. He is the gracious father who always has compassion on his children. Let me close with this. Why? One more reason. Why do we read the Old Testament? Because in Israel, we find one more thing. They aren't able to live up to the promises. Israel can't live up to the promises that God gave them. And neither can you and I live up to the ways that we're called to live. So we find that in Israel, they need something more. They need some final deliverer. Someone who truly can make good on all the promises. Israel, in the Old Testament, is the prelude. It's the, the appetizer. It is the first taste of what will be coming next week, the next part of the story about Jesus Christ, the one who is a faithful son of Abraham, the one who perfectly fulfills the law, the true king who can lead his people to loving God. That is where the story is all going, centered around him, centered around Jesus we watch in the Old Testament to see how the new is concealed. And in the New Testament, we see how it is being revealed. Jesus is the long-awaited king, the long and true faithful Israelite who will come to be the final rescuer of his people. We believe that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.